from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join us uh, live on the air tonight, 833-4825-337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Yesterday, we discussed how Trump said, listen, if you need me, I'll run, I'll run for a brief time uh, as uh, House Speaker. Uh, today, he's endorsed Jim Jordan for House Speaker, and... Uh, this was uh, good. I think this is a good thing. I think this puts um, Jordan in the running. I think Jordan is the best guy. Uh, I, I wanted Jordan last time, and I think the last time we had him on the show, I told him, are you going to run? He said, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm with Kevin McCarthy. And he was loyal to McCarthy because he felt like he was the right guy and he was a good leader and et cetera, et cetera. But he's out. And I think Jordan would be fantastic. And it makes me think. Let's, uh, let's play this one out, right? So if you have the Democrats, if you're a Democrat, and you're like, we got McCarthy, who by many accounts, many, many people, not me, but many people, um, say he's a rhino, he's very liberal, he's a California Republican. And, and yeah, I agree. I've said he's a California Republican. I agree that he's a, a moderate. But if you have that, right, and he's a guy that's very collegial with Nancy Pelosi, he, he gets along with the other side of the aisle, he's able to have discussions with the White House and make deals with the White House. Why, if you're a Democrat, would you want to get rid of that guy? And get a guy like Jim Jordan. I just don't see the the advantage to Democrats on that one. Maybe they thought that Jim Jordan wouldn't be able to really mount uh, a real run for the speaker uh, because of other political factions that existed. But um, well, and we'll see how it plays out. I'm I'm pretty confident that he'd be a fantastic speaker. And my just my thinking here is, and I know they're going to try and stop him as best they can, but they created this mess. And I think it was just thinking in the moment, right? They're like, yeah, we get a chance to oust somebody. We get to oust the Republican speaker. Super. And now you get Jordan. Jordan's going to do a fantastic job. So, uh, yeah, another uh, excellent decision by the Democrats. But uh, Trump today has uh, endorsed Jim Jordan uh, to be next Speaker of the House when they return to the Capitol next Tuesday. And uh, Congressman Jordan, who's currently House Judiciary Committee Chair, and he's the founder of the House Freedom Caucus. He's, uh, according to the Epic Times, which I'm reading from here, says that he's considered to be the favorite by several House Republicans who spoke, uh, you know, on condition of anonymity. The Epic Times previously reported that he was first uh, the first one to officially announce, and he has his um, his eyes set on becoming Speaker. And good for him. I think he'd be terrific. Uh, Trump showered praise on Jim Jordan in a post on Truth Social early today. And um, I think that's going to help solidify his move. Now, of course, that's also the never Trumpers are probably going to push back, right? That might have been like, look, as long as Trump doesn't throw his name into this, uh, you know, with an endorsement or something, we're good. Now that Trump has, I think you get all of the uh, the never Trump Republicans that are going to say, no, 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 if that's the guy Trump wants, I don't want that guy. And hey, that's their prerogative. So it's going to be left to the politics of it to to cut whatever deals have to be cut to get there because that's ultimately how Washington works. So we're going to see how that works, but um, I'm interested in seeing how this pans out because 
you know, it's going to be exciting. It was exciting to see the last time, and I was a little nervous about it last time, to be frank. But now that we've been through it already, what's there to be nervous about, right? We're going to eventually end up with another speaker. Hopefully it's a, um, it's a less contentious and faster process than it was last time. But we'll see how it goes. And uh, there's also a quote in this piece from uh, Congressman Troy Nels, who's uh, terrific in my opinion. And he says he just had a conversation with President Trump about the speaker's race. He's endorsing Jim Jordan. I believe Congress should listen to the leader of our party. I fully support Jim Jordan for Speaker of the House. And so it seems like he's getting the the support that he needs. We'll see uh, something that uh, Congressman Ronnie Jackson told us earlier this week, that the folks that were uh, considering the the McCarthy people because of uh, a falling out with Scalise might also go with Jim Jordan. And if that is the case, then Jim Jordan seems to be in in a better position to move forward into the uh, <clears throat> into the speaker's office, which has just recently been vacated uh, by Patrick McHenry, the current acting speaker, <laughs> which I thought was was just fantastic. Anyway, the jobs report is out. We'll get to that a little bit later. We got some audio and some numbers to discuss on that one. And there is a FBI memo that was just um, released where FBI and Department of Justice officials were openly mocking the congressional inquiries into Hunter Biden. And it doesn't surprise me in the least, right? But officials from the FBI and the Department of Justice were were openly mocking the uh, congressional investigations into Hunter Biden, into his taxes, his firearm possessions. And this newly released IRS memo says that uh, IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley who wrote a memo back in December of 2020, outlined Hunter Biden's investigation and the potential obstacles to gathering additional evidence. One of those obstacles was the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, for the District of Delaware, which we know that's uh, David Weiss, and the FBI allegedly ignoring the congressional requests and uh, just making fun of the lawmakers who sent these requests. So that's interesting too, right? Because we have FBI members that are now uh, just not showing up to, to hearings that where they're subpoenaed. And again, I don't know if that's uh, if it's just I'm too busy to come. I think it's probably they just they just don't want to play ball anymore. And it's because they think that they got this guy on perjury. So we'll see how that goes. And again, I, we had a caller a couple of weeks ago and I said, no, look, he's probably out of town conveniently. So but out of town on business or something like that. But now it seems like uh, now they're playing games and they're trying to buy some time one way or another. The, uh, another quote from uh, the Shapley memo <clears throat> says the FBI is, part, uh, is a participating agency that is forcing decisions upon the IRS, even though the only viable charges are currently tax charges. The assigned assistant U.S. attorney does not allow dissenting opinion without verbal admonishment. Hmm. So you can't say, well, here's what I think about this, because then you get your, your butt chewed out. Now, the uh, United States Attorney's Office and the FBI received congressional inquiries concerning the investigation, and they've repeatedly ignored their requests, making fun of the members of Congress who made these requests. It appears that someone at the DOJ leaked the information to the media after uh, their day of action, and that's what the IRS agent added in the memo. So we're going to see how that works out as well, because, you know... It's, again, disappointing but not surprising, and, but we see so much of this. It just it doesn't seem to end. Anyway, we have other things that we're going to discuss tonight. I also want to talk about uh, how things work, are working out on the campaign trail and what's going on with the conservative movement. There is a gentleman that's going to be joining us shortly, 
And the topic is black conservatives joining a legal brief in the U.S. Supreme Court case against racist admissions practice at um, Northern Virginia uh, at a school, a STEM school in Northern Virginia, pretty elite school. So we're going to get into that with Derek Green. He's a political commentator and a writer. He's part of uh, Project 21, and that's a national uh, leadership network of black conservatives. So he's going to weigh in on that. And uh, your calls, 833-482-5337. It's Friday. Uh, we're about to kick off the weekend, so feel free to give us a call. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So there is a, a Supreme Court brief that recently um, was um, issued or submitted uh, w- with respect to a court case against racist admissions practices at this elite Northern Virginia STEM school. Um, and I've got to tell you, it's not the first time we've heard this, right? We keep hearing about racist admissions practices at magnet schools at all sorts of schools, and not just colleges, but even high schools. <clears throat> and uh, I feel like Virginia's on the on the forefront of this stuff because a lot of it seems to be happening there. We've talked with a number of people about this happening a number of times, and it seems like it keeps happening. So that's when you know this is kind of ground zero for this stuff. They're testing this stuff in Virginia to push it every single place they can. And it's wrong. I mean, it's, it's wrong on so many fronts. At least the last few times I've seen this, You've had um, Asians, South Asians, whether they be um, from from whatever background, and they're like, oh, no, no, you can't. You, your grades are great, but no, we're, we're going to offer this opportunity or this scholarship or, or this, uh, you know, uh, opportunity to attend this school to someone else, a person of color, based on their skin color, not based on any academic achievement. It's not a meritocracy. It's literally uh, whatever they feel like doing. And, and this is obviously wrong, but it's bad. It's bad for kids. It's bad for the kids that are being promoted socially on the basis of skin color as opposed to anything else. And if if the shoe were on the other foot, let's just say we have an uh, admissions policy where we're admitting solely white kids. Um, I'm pretty sure somebody would say that's racist, right? So I, I just can't for the life of me figure out why these things are even allowed to happen. But kudos to everybody that steps up and joins in on these briefs. Because I think that's a very important thing to do. You gotta if if you're not fighting, right? If you don't get in the ring, you can't win. Anyway, Derek Green, he's a political commentator, he's a writer, and he's part of Project Twenty One, uh, a national leadership network of Black conservatives, and he's with us now to help break it down. Derek Green, welcome, sir. Thank you for having me. You bet. So, give us a little background on on this particular case and why you got involved. Well, one of the reasons I got involved was because they were – the Thomas Jefferson School was actually violating the Equal Protection Clause. And so what they were doing is that they were, in essence, violating the rights, uh, constitutional rights of Asian Americans to try to increase um, blacks and Latinos 
in this particular school. And the thing about this is you're supposed to basically, you know, protect everybody's individual rights. If these kids, if these Asian Americans are scoring high on these tests, they should be admitted. We shouldn't be, you know, in a way um, disregarding Asian American students to try to get more Hispanics and Latinos, particularly if they score lower on their GPA than Asian Americans. And so that's why I got involved because I just, I, I don't like these types of these issues. And we saw this with the, with the students for fair admission versus Harvard. This is why the Supreme Court ended race-based affirmative action because the people who score higher on their GPAs and their SATs and their ACTs should get you know, preferential admission over group rights. And so that's why I got involved. And that's, that's a good point that you bring up. And, and I, I, I'm totally in agreement with you. Uh, I think the bigger issue for me is how, like, how is it that we've gotten to a place where schools literally have the gall to promote such a policy? And why is there not an outrage? Um, I mean, I can tell you, my kids, my oldest daughter just graduated high school. Uh, but if there was a policy like that, uh, I think I would complain and I'd be like, look, I'm Hispanic and my daughter's Hispanic, but uh, I don't think that's cool. I would be insulted by such a thing. Why, why, why do you think there hasn't been a groundswell of people saying, look, I don't care what color I am. I don't want to be admitted on the basis of, of race as opposed mm-hmm. to merit. What's your supposition on that? You know, I, I think it happened around May 2020 when George Floyd died. And this is what this particular school did, they said, listen, we don't have a lot of blacks or Hispanics in this school, so we want to increase those particular preferences for group rights over individual rights. And this has happened at Harvard. I mean, this has happened at Yale. This has happened at Princeton. So a lot of these people, you know, once they did that, you know, critical race theory after George Floyd died, they wanted to increase the, the uh, percentages of blacks and Hispanics in colleges and universities and in high schools. But at the same time, if Asian Americans are still scoring higher, they should be getting preferential uh, admission. And so and and this is one of the things that I I disagree with overall is that blacks, Asian Americans marry in higher rates than than black Americans. Um, and, And so do whites and so do black immigrants. So if you're actually giving preferential group rights to people and they don't have the GPAs that are that are equal or, um, you know, level out with Asian-Americans, you should give the Asian-Americans the preferential treatment. And so that that's one of the reasons why I I just disagree with this kind of thing, because they, they wanted to increase this this preferential treatment. But if they're not if the GPAs aren't high enough, then what you're going to have in these schools is grade inflation and then everybody knows whether they go to high school or college that either the grades have been inflated, they've been there because of affirmative action, and the people who are trying to hire realize that they may not have the talent or capability to be in these particular positions. And so that's why you know we all we all got involved in Project Twenty One. Outstanding. You guys have been involved in a number of things. I've spoken with a couple of other Project 21 members in the past, and you seem to always have your finger on the pulse and be on the right side of an issue. So what's the next step uh, for for you all uh, in your involvement with this brief that was submitted? What can we expect to come down the road? Well, we're, you know, we're hoping that they they actually um, 
uh, rule in favor of the Equal Protection Clause that gives people, regardless of race, um, protections under under the state government. So that's that's what we're hoping that that happens. And, and one of the reasons, again, as I said before, in 2020, black immigrants married at 61 percent, Asians married at 58 percent, whites married at 52 percent, and, and Hispanics married at 43 percent, but blacks married at 30 percent. So if there's not a mother and a father in the home, there's not going to be merit-based academic success or academic or, 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 or moral success. In 2021, that number dropped for black Americans to 29.7%. So if there's no father in the home, and, and, and the data bears this out, most children, if they have a father in the home, they're more confident, uh, they achieve higher, uh, higher levels. And that's not what's happening in, in black communities. So I just think that, again, with the Students for Fair Admission and, and, and Thomas Jefferson, they should just give these students the preferential admission to these schools because they have they, their, their GPAs are so much higher. And these people are going to innovate and create certain things that maybe blacks and Hispanics may not do. Now, not, I'm not saying that blacks and Hispanics aren't capable. Many of them are. But if Asian Americans are scoring higher, we should actually give them the preferential treatment. They should, we should give them preferential admission into these schools because these are the people who are going to innovate down the line 20, 30, 40 years from now. Derek Green, are you saying that if Asian Americans are doing better, they should be admitted? Or are you saying that the students with the best score should be admitted? I'm saying the students with the best score should be admitted. and Who happen to be Asian. Coming, yes. And this is, listen, my, my mom, she grew up under racial segregation. I had to go to the library every Saturday. I went there. There was only three black people there. It was me, my mother, and the lady that was checking the books out. And so I asked the lady behind the counter that was checking the books out, when do these Asian students get here? And she said that they are waiting for me to get here because they are <laughs> teaching themselves how to read English. So if they are putting all of this effort and energy into learning how to speak English and how to do math and how to do all these other things, they, they should be higher on the list. And unfortunately, during racial segregation, blacks scored very high. They did very, very well. But after the Great Society programs and the welfare programs and those kinds of things, it diminished. And so I think that people with the best score should be admitted. Let's pick up right there where you left off with the Great Society. I think that's an excellent point. And you just can't knock these people's hustle. God bless them. We're coming right back with Derek Green. Don't move a muscle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Amigos, welcome back. We're on with Derek Green, political commentator. He's with Project 21. And we're talking about uh, racial discrimination and uh, on the base of admissions and whatnot. But 
Uh, Derek Green brought up a couple of good points about marriage rates, fathers not being in the home, and how the numbers have changed since the time of racial uh, segregation and the introduction of new policies. And I want to pick up right there, Derek Green. Yeah, so what happened was, you know, during racial segregation, you know, if you look at the census reports, you see that blacks married in higher rates uh, than whites. They had more children uh, within marriage than whites. But then when you get to the Great Society programs, all of a sudden it encouraged black women to, in essence, marry the government because they would get more money for more children. And so what it did is that it actually excluded the father from the home. And so we've done this for, what, 45 years, 50 years now. And what really gets under my skin is that pastors used to say, fathers, you need to marry the mother or your wives, and then have children within marriage. But now we don't necessarily hear that in black churches. And so if if women are just simply saying we can just cohabitate and not marry, and then if, you know, we fall out, you can go your way, I can go mine. These and she can stay married to the government. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And then the father goes and has more children with multiple different women. And that doesn't really do much for black children because again in racial segregation there was a blacks interpreted religion conservatively and they were mostly conservatives until you get to like 1935 1940 and then they started you know uh voting for democrats but they can they they understood this theologically from a conservative point of view but we don't have that anymore and and the left and the right doesn't encourage marriage for black communities. We they simply want to say we want to give group preferences to these people. And I don't think that's a, 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 the right thing to do, because, you know, when you look at the ACT scores for Asians in, in 2022, it, it was 1229. For whites, it was 1098. For Hispanics and Latinos, it was 964. But for blacks, it was 926. The AT, a, ACT scores in 2022 for Asians, it was 24.7. For whites, it was 21.3. For Hispanics and Latinos, it was 17.7. And for blacks, it was 16.1. So it's really interesting that they want to give group preferences to people who don't do necessarily well on standardized test scores, but they want to exclude Asians. And I just don't think that that's right. No, I, I hear you. I mean, you, you brought up a, a lot of interesting points. And as you start to connect the dots, I'm just thinking in my head, when was the last time I saw an Asian single mom? <clears throat> and again, um, it, it reinforces the marriage rates that you were talking about earlier and the educational outcomes thereof. And uh, fascinating point. And what, what I think is, you know, you gave a very uh, a succinct answer, but I feel like it, it was very, um, very simple in terms of we went from 1935 to today. They voted for Democrats, this particular demographic, and here we are today. But I think a lot's happened in there. What else do you think occurred in this um, destruction of the family structure, this destruction of marriage, the church not being as theologically conservative or, or pushing marriage? You know, I, I actually think, you know, back when I was going to—I to, I was raised in a black church, and so my pastor um, was from the South, and he grew up under racial segregation, so he understood— what it was like to grow up being diminished and not being equal to other people. So he would always encourage black men to marry black women first and then have a job and then have children. 
but we don't see that anymore. And what, what, and I've been in seminary for almost 20 years. <laughs> okay. So okay. I've, I've talked to a bunch of pastors and what pastors are saying now is that they don't want to get into the word of God. They don't want to uh, discuss the wisdom of the word of God because they don't want to offend anybody. So they're not talking about a bunch of different things, a bunch of secular ideologies. They're simply saying that they want to run their churches as an as a American organization. And I don't think that that's necessarily right. They don't, they're not talking about sin. They're not talking about uh, destruction. They're not talking about the children not having fathers in the house. And, children, and then black men, for example, looking to other black men who don't have fathers to try to understand what it's like to be a man. You can't find out what it's like to be a man if you don't have a father in the house. And I so think I, it also, I, 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 just to chime in, I think it also forces women to take on the role of being a man, uh, not just acting yes, as a dad. Like yeah. they say, oh, I'm mom and dad. No, I think they actually have to act as a man. They, they're buying tools. They're fixing their own things. They're doing just about everything and, and living in this um, masculine um, role that I don't believe is probably the best for them. If I had to live in a feminine role, I don't think I'd do that well. That, that's 100% correct. And then what, 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 what also you have is that if there's no father in the house, what you start having in black churches is you start having a, a higher increase of black men who are homosexual because they take on the nature of their mother. Or if they don't, hmm. they listen to rap music and they are extraordinarily misogynistic. So, you, you know, you have a lot of these elements that are going into the pot that are that are making black men repeat the cycle of their fathers. And they're not saying we should get married just like our grandparents did when they were racially segregated, because this demonstrates that we are equal to other people. And that's that's one of the issues that I that I have with black communities, that they're just not really going back and saying, even though we were racially segregated and that was a moral evil, we still should get married. Because then if there's a father and a mother in the home, they can can they can contribute to academic uh, merit based academic success. And then black children can demonstrate that they are equal to whites and Asians. You know, I once did an interview and somebody asked me, they said, you know, you're very critical of President Obama. It was back during the Obama days. And they said, do you have anything good to say about him? And I said, yeah, the National Fatherhood Initiative that he um, really put, I think, a lot of emphasis on. I thought it was a very good thing, perhaps not going far enough not really promoting mm-hmm. marriage. When he first ran, he, he supported the Defense of Marriage Act and then went sideways. But right. um, I think that was a good thing. And I think there are some really good fatherhood organizations out there. But I think they're geared towards making men good fathers, which is great. But I think mm-hmm. you're really hitting the nail on the head with marriage, right? You, you keep repeating it. It's a common theme. And I think you're right. I think marriage is a key component to society. You'll be a better father if you're married. If It's harder to be a good dad when you're not married. And I'm saying this as a guy that was married for 12 years or 10 years, and I've been divorced for 12 years, and I stayed raising my kids, but it was that much harder to do when you do it outside of a marriage. So I, I think you're, you're on the right track. Do you do any work uh, with your with ministry work or through the work that you do in the seminary to promote marriage? I do. So I, I speak to churches and church-based organizations, and normally what they want me to speak on is, particularly in black churches, is marriage and abortion, because there's a lot of black women. I mean, you can look at the uh, Guttmacher Institute and see on any given year that black women have more abortions than white women or uh, Hispanic women. And so that's, a, that's, a, that's an issue. Um, and then when I go to white churches, I talk about 
um, uh, reparations and critical race theory, because those two issues seem to me to be projecting onto white people the same kind of racial, the racialized ideology that was given to blacks under racial segregation. And I don't think that that is necessary, particularly in the body of Christ, because you don't want to have uh, people in the church divisive. You want them to be embracing one another and saying, we are part of the kingdom of God uh, that's coming soon. So let us get along together. And so that's what I, that's what I've been doing uh, for the last, well, I did it during COVID and now I'm doing it again. And so I, I, I did it last night at Cornerstone University. We talked for two hours and a lot of people came up and said, listen, what you said was actually correct. They, they were very, um, they, they appreciated the fact that I said fathers have to get more involved in their children's life because all the data suggests that children are much more confident. They excel at a higher level when fathers are involved. And so a lot of people came up to me and said, thank you for saying that. And I'm going to continue to say that because I think that it, particularly in black communities, we just need to elevate the marriage rate um, so our kids can have a better future. I mean, listen, I, I look on Twitter every day and it's in California. I mean, these guys are just, you know, they're going on social media and they're saying, let's get together and they go rob stores. And a lot of people look at that and there's a lot of denigrating uh, language given to blacks. And, and so for me, I want to say, let's not do that. Let's get married. Let's have a job. <laughs> let's have children and stay in your children's life for as long as possible. I love what I'm hearing. You haven't told any lies, Derek Green. We're going to come right back with Derek Green. If you want to join the conversation, if you have a question, you want to chime in, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. And sadly, so many of those extremists, those mega extremists, um, take their marching orders from Donald Trump, who has no credibility left by any measure. He's only in it for himself. He's now defending himself in civil actions and criminal actions. And when do they break with him? You know, because at some point... You know, maybe there needs to be a formal deprogramming of the cult members, but something needs to happen. And how do you do that? Because you said you have to defeat them by defeating their leader. Their leader is Donald Trump. Even you have said that you expect him to be the Republican nominee. How does this change at all? At this point, I think, sadly, he will still likely be the nominee, and we have to defeat him. And we have to defeat those who are the election deniers, as we did in 2020 and 2022. That's Hillary Clinton on CNN yesterday with Christiane Amanpour calling for the formal deprogramming of MAGA cult members. And we're still on with our guest. He's here with us. He's been preaching up a storm and giving us some really great uh, historical analysis. And I want to switch gears to some political analysis. Derek Green, what do you make of this uh, commentary from Hillary Clinton? 
Well, listen, I used to live in L.A., and my wife Sorry and I to used that. to go to Beverly Hills. Exactly. <laughs> we used to go to Beverly Hills a lot, and they used to have a lot of uh, people who were there celebrating Trump. And when you would go into these to this park, everybody would embrace you and say, listen, we have to win. Uh, it, it's not about color. It's about beating the Democrats. And so I went there probably four or five times. And I was like, you know, this is very interesting. So I don't, I, I, you know, maybe it partially it is a cult because a lot of people love Donald Trump, but I think a lot of people just don't like Joe Biden. I think that they realize that he's, <laughs> I'm one of them, older. sir. <laughs> he's getting older. Um, I think his, his, his cognitive, cognitive, uh, dec- he's declining cognitively. And so I think a lot of people are realizing, listen, under Trump, we had 1.2% inflation, but under Joe Biden, we had a 42-year high. So I think a lot of people are saying, and I like DeSantis, I like Nikki Haley, but I think a lot of people are saying, we want Trump back in there. And I think that he may do a better job. Now, there's some, you know, he said some things that seem a little on the, uh, on the left, but I think that if he has the right people around him, I think that he could probably do a better job you know, this in, in 2022 than he did in, in 2016. Yeah. What I think is interesting here about Hillary Clinton is, is the fact that this is a presidential election <laughs> and, and she's yeah. doing an interview on CNN and the best she can come up with is we have to deprogram the MAGA extremists. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hear talk radio people say things like, oh, the Democrats, they have Trump derangement syndrome. Okay. That's funny. But Mm -hmm. I think if you're Hillary Clinton, a three time loser, you know, former secretary of state, former first lady, I would suspect or suppose or hope that she would hold herself in a higher regard than to say we have to deep program people and beat the election deniers. I mean, the the um, the rhetoric is just so heavy. And and I I think it's a bad look. Me personally, I'm very biased. But, uh, you know, when you hear that, does, does that sound like a serious person? No. And, and, and listen, I live in California, and so there is a cult here of the transgender cult, the LGBTQ <laughs> cult. Uh, you know, th- it's, it's, there's a lot of cults in the state of California, especially when it comes to the Marxist, uh, you know, taking away from people who produce to giving to people who don't produce. So if she wants to talk about a cult, why does she talk about California, uh, you know, in this particular way? But she only wants to talk about MAGA. And I think the reason she's talking about MAGA this way is because— Donald Trump beat her. And I remember back in 2016, she would walk out on stage. She thought she was so confident. She thought she was going to win. And when she lost, she didn't even come out that night. She had to come out the next morning and was crying through a press conference because she lost to Donald Trump. So I, you know, I I understand what they're doing and I understand what the media is trying to do. They're trying to elevate Trump. So, you know, Joe Biden can win. And I really don't want Joe Biden to win. I really don't want Kamala Harris as president. So I think that I think that a lot of people really need to either say it's either going to be Donald Trump or either Ron DeSantis, because I think Ron DeSantis can actually persuade a lot of people who are moderates to vote for him. Whereas Donald Trump in 2020, he he, he did the opposite. Yeah. Uh, DeSantis is a great governor. And I, I think Trump's doing an amazing job this time around of staying on message. Now, I, you said something about the cults in California, the LGBTQ cult and the the transgender cult. And I have a clip of audio. It's very short. I want you to listen to this. The most critical time to be there is grades five through eight, because you want to catch kids when they're starting puberty, because that's the time in which identity formation is central to their lives. However, 
early intervention is key. So we actually are designing a kindergarten through grade two curriculum this summer. And I will tell you, one of the most rewarding experiences, Nikki, uh, we were in a local school system in an elementary school, and uh, we were in grades three, four, and five. And after we were there, um, five students went to the principal's office and came out. So we are really intentionally going into younger and younger grades. All right, Derek Green, that's Stacey Robostelli. She's the Director of Education and Administration at High Tops. It's an LGBTQ nonprofit group that focuses on bringing queer theory and gender ideology into schools. And she says the best time to be in the classroom is grades five through eight, but they're working on a K through two curriculum. This is insane. Now, I only have like another minute in this segment, but I want your response on that. And if you can hang on for another segment, I'd love that because I'm sure you're going to have a lot to say. Go right ahead. Yeah, so in, in my opinion, I, I, I don't think that's right. And listen, I was a psych major in my undergraduate. You know, we were talking with people. I had to, you know, volunteer on the on college campus. And back then it was just about people who were being gay. But now you have people who are transgender. And so for me, I don't think that psychologists in the state of California are trying to root out depression or autism or ADHD that contributes to these people who think that they're gay or think that they want to be transgender. They simply, you know, say, okay, we're going to affirm you in your new gender. And they, you know, they, they cut the breasts off of young, young women. Uh, they give men estrogen. And th- that's a very, very bad thing. And I went to a detransitioner rally in March. Yeah. This is awful. And so I don't understand why they're doing this, but this to me is a cult. There's All no right, Derek- other way to explain it. Stick with me if you can for an, another couple of minutes so we could uh, let everybody know how they could follow you. Folks, we're on with Derek Green, and we're coming right back. Don't move. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. All right, folks, we're on with Derek Green from Project 21. Derek Green, I wanted to make sure you had a chance to let the audience know how they could keep up to speed with everything that you're doing and how they could follow you. Sure, they can go on Twitter. I'm at Derek Green on Twitter, and they can go to DerekGreen.com, and it's spelled D-E-R-R-Y-C-K-G-R-E-E-N.com, and they can read a bunch of the things that I have to say. I, pretty pretty soon I'm going to put something up about why Christians should not use preferred pronouns when uh, addressing uh, transgender people. Well, just so you know, I'm, I, I am a Christian and I'm a Hispanic and I go by the pronouns el macho, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> Derek Green, <laughs> thank you for being here with me, brother. I appreciate the conversation and your time. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you as well. All right, folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Stick with us. It's about to get popping in here. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. From the city that never sleeps. 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, hi there, good evening, and welcome. 833-4825-337, 833-4VALDEZ is the number if you want to chime in on the conversation tonight. And I wanted to uh, have a conversation about something I haven't really talked much about. I joked about her name a little bit, right? LaFonza Butler. And I thought, what are her friends call her? Do they call her the Fonz, maybe Fonzie? I'm going to go with Fonzie because I think it's funny. Uh, but LaFonza Butler, she's a former Kamala Harris advisor, and she's uh, been nominated to fulfill the vacant seat left by Senator Dianne Feinstein and her uh, death. Uh, may she rest in peace. And to do that, I want to welcome Terry Schilling. He's executive director of the American Principles Project. Terry Schilling, welcome, sir. Thanks so much for having me, Rich. It's good to be here. Yes, sir. Happy to have you. And um, welcome back. Let's uh, let's dig into this, because I don't know a whole lot about Fonzie. I'm hoping you do so you can tell the audience about it, and then we can get into some other uh, domestic politics and the 2024 election. So uh, who is Fonzie, and what did she do for Que Malaitis, the vice president of the United States? <laughs> well, uh, she's been a longtime uh, left-wing uh, organizer. She uh, served as uh, in leadership positions in the um, SCIU, the Service Employees International Union, which is a very left-wing union uh, as compared to, mm-hmm. you know, the plumbers and pipe fitters and the trades guys. Uh, but the most important thing to understand about her is that she is serving as the president of a group known as EMILY's List. Now, EMILY's List is a radical pro-abortion uh, political action committee uh, that's designed to elect uh, pro-abortion Democrat women to Congress uh, and, and to the presidency. That's that's all they do. And if you are a candidate that supports any type of restriction or limitation on abortion, you don't get access uh, to Emily's List help. They, they will actually work against you. So they primary the moderate members of the Democratic Party uh, on abortion, uh, and they basically push the party to the left on that issue. Emily, uh, for a lot of people, they don't realize this. Emily, there is no person named Emily. Emily is a euphemism for, uh, or sorry, an acronym for early money is like yeast. And what these guys figured out long ago is that if you can inject a serious amount of money into uh, candidate campaigns early on, uh, you will they'll they'll end up making a lot of headway themselves down the road and, and be much more successful. So she's basically a radical pro-abortion candidate, and Gavin Newsom is nominating her because she's radical on abortion. And again, this is probably a, a restatement of the obvious, but why why put such a, um, a radical pro-abortion activist in a U.S. Senate seat? 
Well, I think there's a, a few reasons for that. I, I do think that uh, Democrats are much better about, uh, you know, just doing what they believe is right or doing uh, what they believe will help them politically. And right now, uh, attacking Republicans on abortion and advancing uh, Democratic policies like abortion uh, has is going to help them, right? And, and I think that in a world where you know moms don't have to, moms and dads don't have to even give their kids nine months in the womb, uh, I think it creates a different country uh, than you really want. I think it creates a, a nation that's really focused on um, each individual ourselves, and we don't care about other people. You know, it's kind of weird how we have things in this country because moms and dads don't own nine months in the womb to their own children, their own flesh and blood, but the left will argue that we owe complete strangers college degrees in, in social studies, right? Uh, it doesn't really make very much sense. Uh, so uh, anyway, it, they're radical on abortion. They really don't see anything wrong with it. They think it's a good. They think that the only thing that's wrong with abortion is there aren't enough of them, and they want to do anything they can to to do this. Got it. And I, I, I agree with you. I think that's, that's where they're at. And at, politically, I think this is one of the biggest things that, you know, uh, obviously galvanizes both sides of the political aisle uh, because there are some that just believe so strongly in life and others that believe so strongly in choice and then others that believe so strongly in using the people that believe in life or choice for their own political uh, prowess. But I, I feel like it, it seems like a mistake, right? She doesn't really seem to have a lot of uh, legislative experience, maybe lobbying for legislation. And it just seems like... a uh, an off kind of decision, in my opinion. Is that a? Uh, do you think that's naive on my part? Is there something I'm missing? No, Rich. I, 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 I think you're just looking at politics how a normal, healthy uh, person would look at politics. Someone that you're looking at politics how someone that really loves their country and wants to get the best thing for the country, regardless of your political views. Um, you want someone that's experienced, that will work out deals, that will advance the ball for the country. What these guys are actually more focused on is getting a dependable vote, right? They, they have their agenda set. It's more abortions, it's indoctrinating kids into hating their country and hating their parents and, and, and being sexualized at very early ages. It's raising taxes on everyone. It's, it's making sure we can't heat our homes in the winter because our, our, our electrical bill taxes will be so uh, astronomical that we'll go bankrupt from it. Uh, and they know what the agenda is. They don't want thoughtful legislators in there. That ruins their plans. The Democratic Party is a centralized party. They want everything is top down. They just want good little soldiers that will do whatever the, the, the party brass says. Uh, and that is what uh, LaFonza Butler checks. Uh, that's the box that she checks for them. Folks, we're on with Terry Schilling. He's executive director of the American Principles Project. And uh, we're discussing LaFonza Butler, uh, who uh, here on this program will be affectionately known as Fonzie or the Fonz, depending on my mood. And uh, we're going to continue our discussion on what's going on in the state of affairs here in our country. There's a lot to discuss with Terry Schilling, and he's coming right back with me, Rich Valdez. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. 
That's Valdez with an S. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations, everybody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing. Are people listening, right? That's but right. But you're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Terry Schilling. He's the executive director at the American Principles Project. And Terry Schilling, I want to get your take. There's a, a few things that happened this week, right? So we had... Um, Monday, we had the vote from Congressman Matt Gates to vacate the speakership of, of Kevin McCarthy. Then on Tuesday, the vote passed and McCarthy's out. Then we have, I think on Wednesday, uh, Jim Jordan announcing that he would uh, put his name in the ring, uh, throw his hat in the ring for the speaker. And then we have Trump saying, listen, if America needs me, I'll do it. And then he says, OK, I'll I'll, I'll back uh I will back. I'll do it for a little while. And then he says, I'll back Jordan. And and I think that's a good move uh, for the pro Trump people in the Republican Party. But I'm wondering what type of uh, problem it poses for those that are never Trumpers in the Republican Party. And if if it's going to alienate some votes, what are your thoughts? It's a it's a fascinating time to be involved in politics. And I'm not just saying that to like not give a position on the issue i i yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that. no it really is uh, so many record-breaking things right <laughs> we've never seen this never... so much newness that's exactly right and i i have a unique perspective on this because i got i my dad ran for congress in 2010 and uh, he actually won and nice. i ran his campaign and worked for worked on his re-election campaign and uh, you know i got to i got a first row seat uh, to see how this stuff plays out. And it was so disappointing, Rich. And I see a lot of similarities between uh, what we're, what's going on now and what happened when my dad was in Congress. And basically in 2010, they elected, you know, 90 some new freshman members of Congress uh, and they promised to cut the deficit and really take things seriously and be a, a force for change. Well, what do you know? They never did anything. They really didn't cut anything and they kept pushing along continuing resolutions and omnibus votes and, and, and bills that would just keep things going. This, this town is, is rigged. It is really set up so that you can't change anything. And, and mm -hmm. that's what was so beautiful about what Matt Gates did is he shook everything up by doing what he did. And there's a new sheriff in town and it's the American people, right? The next guy that goes into that speaker's chair, whether it's Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise or whatever, they're going to think, Holy cow, these guys are willing to collect a scalp. They're willing to, to take a shot to, to take out the king. And, I mean, they just got a headshot with Kevin McCarthy, right? He's a very powerful man. He's very likable. He had huge support of the conference, but they were able to pull off a big, a big victory for people that want to change this town. And so I don't know what, how this race is going to play out. My gut tells me that Jim Jordan has been talked about as Speaker of the House for a very long time. But the problem is, is that he can't bring over the moderate and and um, and more centrist uh, part of the party, which 
believe it or not, is a very large uh, portion of the Republican Party, unfortunately, much bigger than I would prefer it. Uh, so we'll see what happens. I, I think everyone should just be praying right now and contacting their members and making sure that their voices are heard. Uh, these guys, I can tell you from my experience with my dad in office, these guys do listen to their phone calls. They do read their emails. They, it, it upsets them when they're getting criticized nonstop and their offices are being flooded with phone calls. So call them and make sure that they know how you want them to vote and who you want them to vote for for speaker. Um, and uh, just get involved in the process and, and uh, let God uh, sort out the rest of the details. All right. And, and again, I, I agree with you. I, I, I think the same exact thing. Now, before you go, I want you to hear something. I'm going to play this for everybody tonight. We just played this a little while ago, but I want you to hear it. It's Stacey Robostelli. She's Director of Education and Administration at High Tops. It's an LGBTQ nonprofit group uh, that is focused on bringing queer theory and gender ideology into schools. And she says the best time to be in the classroom is grades five through eight, but she's doing cartwheels here because she's so happy to bring it in now in a K through two curriculum because she says it's important that we get there when kids are starting puberty. Listen to this. The most critical time to be there is grades five through eight because you want to catch kids when they're starting puberty because that's the time in which identity formation is central to their lives. However, early intervention is key. So we actually are designing a kindergarten through grade two curriculum this summer. And I will tell you, one of the most rewarding experiences, Nikki, uh, we were in a local school system in an elementary school, and uh, we were in grades three, four, and five. And after we were there, five students went to the principal's office and came out. So we are really intentionally going into younger and younger grades. All right, Terry Schilling. I heard this. <laughs> I was mad. I was using the F-bomb in my head. And and I got to tell you, this is a school. I, I can't understand. I mean, I understand it. I just can't believe that. I would have thought this would have been some James O'Keefe hidden audio, right? That this is on, on Twitter. What say you? Well, look, I, I think a few things, right? The the first thing that sticks out to me is just how sterile her words are, just how sterile uh, how she's talking about it. She's, she's talking about this, not like some activists would want to talk about it, but how a, a doctor would talk about uh, giving the right treatment to a patient, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. very... Uh, clinical. It's very sterile. Yeah, and clinical. And I, I just, I think that these guys... Uh, you know, we all have an idea of what evil is going to sound like and what evil is going to look like when it comes to take over this country. It's going to sound like this. It's not going to sound like the creepy, evil, bad guy in the movies. It's going to sound like this. And the guy that's doing it and the people that are doing it are going to be dressed very nice. They're going to be wearing suits. They're going to talk like, like doctors and professionals. And they're going to indoctrinate your kids. They're going to make them hate you. They're going to make them hate their country. They're going to make them hate themselves by sexualizing them early. Um, it's just a total nightmare, but they are saying the quiet part out loud. And I mean, so the other thing that it really says to me is that these radical progressives that are intent on sexualizing your kids that in kindergarten, right? In kin- kindergarten, they're saying this out loud. Yeah. They have accumulated so much power that they're not afraid of any accountability, right? I mean, who's going to, who's going to run the expose that ties all these people together in the mainstream media? Is it going to be CNN? Is it going to be MSNBC? Is it going to be ABC, CBS, NBC? No, none of these guys are going to do it because they're all in on it. And they, I, I think the thing that bugs me about all this progressive propaganda, it's not the propaganda where they're lying to you. 
it's the propaganda where they're not telling you what's actually going on. It's the cover-up. It's the refusal to actually present you the facts about what's happening to your kids and to our country. And that's what's going to do America and not, not the lying. Terry Schilling, this is already doing America in, in my opinion. The, this is you're instilling some massive confusion into a child in kindergarten. Um, I, I just, uh, you know, as a dad, I look at this and I think I was I was really angry. I'm still kind of angry, honestly. Uh, you, you look at this and, and I think there if you want to do this, do it. But why do it in a school like nobody sends their kid to school to learn about straight ideology, queer ideology. Nobody does that. Right. You send your kid to school to learn things about things, you know, uh, reading and all that stuff. And, uh, yeah, I'm at a loss for words on this one, Terry Schilling. I'm, I'm very disappointed to hear this. And um, w- what are you guys at the American Principles Project doing uh, in this arena? Do you do you do anything in this arena? Culture war type of stuff? Yeah. So we're we're so you'd be surprised to know, but maybe not so surprised to know that most of this stuff is coming from the federal government. Every the, the federal government now spends six trillion dollars a year, and it's all weaponized against the American people. It's funding programs like this. The federal government actually pays Planned Parenthood to come into public schools and teach them about gender ideology, teach them how to get a gender transition, teach them how to get an abortion, teach them how to use all these contraceptions, and how to have you know weird, weird, weird sexual relations with with your peers. Um, it's happening. And so we're addressing it at the federal level because that's where the root of the problem is. It's at the federal level. Um, and, and so we're working through the appropriations process to put riders and restrictions uh, on what the Biden administration and these executive agencies can actually do with the money that the American people are giving them. Right. And, and so that's going to be the most important thing that we get done in the next four years is putting restrictions on what the federal government can spend. They sh- for example, right. the federal government should not be able to spend money indoctrinating kids to hate their country. That's 100%. not in the federal government's interest to have a bunch of citizens that think that their government's evil. Terry Schilling, let everybody know how they could find you. It's just AmericanPrinciplesProject.org. You can find me on all the social media sites at Schilling1776. Terry Schilling, thanks for being with us again. I appreciate it. Keep fighting. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Godspeed, sir. Thanks, Rich. You bet. Folks, we continue our conversation straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, just like the mayor of New York City, elite Eric Adams, the mayor of Chicago has just suddenly discovered a humanitarian crisis, and he plans this trip to the U.S.-Mexico border. <laughs> I got to laugh at this stuff because I feel like I'm in, uh, like, Superman, bizarro world here. Uh, Mayor Brandon Johnson has been smacked by reality. He's aware of the Biden border crisis now. Why? Because illegal aliens are taking him up on his claim that Chicago's a sanctuary city and welcomes everyone. 
Now, regardless of their legal status, they're, they're, they're flocking to Chicago. Now, Mayor Johnson says there is a humanitarian crisis at the southern border. <laughs> oh, boy. I got to tell you, uh, nearly 30 busloads of immigrants arrived in Chicago just last week. What is there, 40 or 50 people on a bus? It's uh, a lot of people. And that number is only going to get worse. Johnson, who's 47 years old, said as many as 22 busloads of illegal immigrants could be arriving daily. Several have been seen sleeping on city streets. Nice job, Mayor. Great job, Joe Biden. So I, I bring this up because, you know, when, when I'm in the city and and you go through like Times Square, you, you see so much of everything and it's all over. I mean, I saw a video today. This one's in Chicago. Uh, of, I don't know, five, six, seven, at least the caption on the video said, illegal immigrants beat black man in Chicago. And they beat the tar out of this guy. He was left knocked out in the middle of the street where passersby actually grabbed him um, by each limb and dragged him to the curb so he wouldn't get run over. It was a horrific video, and I felt really badly about it. And I don't know what, what precipitated it. I don't know if he did something to them, then they called their friends and came back, or if they were just out there thugging it and deciding to go after him. But my point is, this is a problem. And again, I have no, you know, this is just a hearsay from the video. I, I don't know if what their legal status in the country was. But I do know I saw these five or six guys beat the crap out of this other guy. And crime is a problem. Safety is a problem. Illegal immigration is a problem. And it's no longer a problem just at the southern border. So I want to talk about what's going on in New York. I want to talk about what's going on with 2024. I want to talk with you all as well. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And I want to welcome my buddy, Robert Hornack. Robert Hornack is uh, the vice president of the Ronald Reagan Republican Club in New York City, and uh, they're expanding. Robert Hornack, welcome, sir. Thank you, Rich. Good to be here. My pleasure, bro. So uh, give us an update. What's going on with um, with everything in New York City? <laughs> Jeez, where do you start? I yeah. mean, things have gone downhill in this city so fast, it's hard to believe what we're actually seeing. You know, when I lived through the, the Giuliani Revolution of the 90s, and, you know, we saw what you could do to a city that had high crime, and fear in the streets and a high murder rate by simply enforcing the law and telling people, we're not going to let you get away with it. And that changed the entire paradigm, so much so that not only here in New York City, that we, things got better here in the 90s and early 2000s, but we started replicating what we were doing in Los Angeles and Chicago and Indianapolis and a whole bunch of other cities around the country. And it's hard to believe that we already, in just such a short period of time, have forgotten the lessons that we learned of how to make these cities safe and how to make them great. And now we're just letting the city completely fall apart, let it be run by the criminals on the street. And what's really crazy now is because we've sent out a signal that we're not even going to really enforce the law that strictly, that it happens everywhere. It's not just like certain neighborhoods you got to be careful but you got to be careful on every subway platform you got to be careful everywhere you're walking you've got uh illegal weed shops and illegal prostitution shops popping up all over the city and the police are hamstrung to do anything about them what we've let happen to the city and to all these great cities in this country 
is unreal. So, Robert Hornack, I think the big question here is, uh, has elite Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, has he joined the Ronald Reagan Republican Club since he now is against <laughs> illegal immigration? Yeah, it's a sudden epiphany, and I haven't had a chance to consult with him. But uh, <laughs> I, I honestly, I, I, you know, Eric Adams is notorious for saying one thing and then doing the exact opposite anyway. So whatever he says, I don't believe that he's going to act on it because he has catered to the extreme left in the city rather than actually do the things that he says he's going to do to appease the middle. Right. So I'm not looking for change, big change to come out of him anytime soon. It's really going to take a change in leadership in the city. Yeah. Now I want to switch gears to a little national politics. Uh, I just asked Terry Schilling a question. I'm going to ask you the same one. Uh, we, we've seen an interesting historic week in, in politics in America. We've had the the threats that went out over on Saturday, you know, hey, if you do this, you know, we're going to hold you accountable to the speaker. Uh, on, on Sunday, the speaker says, oh, tell Matt if he's going to do it, he's going to do it, whatever. You, on one of the Sunday shows on Monday, Matt Gates brings the uh, motion to vacate. On Tuesday, McCarthy is ousted in a vote where every Democrat votes with eight Republicans and he's out. And uh, then you have Wednesday, President Trump saying, look, I'll do what's in the best interest of the country. If you need me to serve as speaker, I'll agree to do it for a short while. Then, uh, oh, that was Thursday. Then on Friday, he says, I'm endorsing Jim Jordan. <clears throat> and Jim Jordan had thrown <laughs> his hat into the ring. And, and, and again, uh, I think it's, it's a good thing uh, that Jim Jordan is running. I think he'd be a really good speaker. But again, that's my view. What's your view? Well, uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, to, just to put this in, in big picture perspective real quickly, I don't think any of this means anything in the long term. And just to prove that, last week, who was talking about the Speaker's Battle of January? I mean, that's long been forgotten when at the time people were saying, oh, this is so horrible. It took five days to pick a Speaker. It's going to destroy the Republican Party. It undermines the leadership. That hasn't been an issue since this was settled. It went away literally within 24 hours of the speaker finally being chosen. So this will work itself out over the coming week. One of these guys is going to become the speaker. And about 30 seconds later, all of this will be forgotten. Good point. Now, <clears throat> what are your thoughts on Jordan's uh, ability? Not, not ability, but <clears throat> I should rephrase. On his ability to garner the votes that he needs to get to 218? I'm not sure that he will be able to do it, but see, what's going to have to happen is they're going to have to come to some consensus. And if they can't get 218 for Scalise, they're going to have to get 218 for somebody. So I don't see why it couldn't be Jim Jordan. I think he's a relatively well-liked guy. If there's one thing that we learned about this Gates-McCarthy thing, that this was not really political. This was purely personal. Right, Gates had a vendetta. These guys didn't like each other. And it finally just came to a head. And McCarthy gave Gates the gun to shoot him with, and Gates took the shot. So that ended bloody, but there's no reason that that needs to continue because that animosity doesn't exist with Jordan and anybody or Scalise and anybody that I'm aware of. So one way or another, they're going to work it out. One of these guys is going to become a leader. I think Jim Jordan would do a great job. 
I also happen to think Scalise would probably do a pretty decent job as well. There's nothing that I've seen from him that would indicate that he would sell out the Republican Party, that he is attached to the the guard, the old guard that the Republican Party is trying to shed for the most part. Robert Hornack, um, can I steal a few more minutes of your time and hold you over for another segment because I want to talk about the <laughs> Rich, election. as much as you need. All right, brother. Stick around, folks. We're on with Robert Hornack, vice president of the Ronald Reagan Republican Club, which was founded in New York City and is attracting Democrats. And we're going to continue with him straight ahead, plus your calls. And we got Open Phone America coming in the next hour, but you can start getting your calls in now. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America. Welcome back, amigos. We're on with Robert Hornack. He's the vice president of the Ronald Reagan Republican Club in New York City. And he's been around politics for a long time. He was very active with the young Republicans years ago. And he's still at it in one of the toughest places to be a Republican, New York City. Robert Hornack, I want to talk about some 2024 politics with you because, um, you know, what else is there to talk about, right? 2024 is is typically the news of the day. Uh, This week, we had a lot of other news of the day. Uh, but how do you see things shaping up for 2024? Well, I think it's looking on the Republican side. Um, it, it, it's not taking any surprise turns. I mean, Donald Trump, you know, he's always been full of surprises since the minute he came down that escalator. And now the one great trick he's really been able to perform is he's winning debates without even showing up to them. <laughs> he's the clear winner of both of those two Republican debates, and nobody has distinguished themselves. Look, you got some people up there with some some great achievements and some political skills, and you know, I think there's some really good politicians up there. Yeah, none of them, and I agree. And I think many of them will have a real future at some point in in politics for something, <clears throat> but not a single one of them has proven that they have what it takes to take votes from Donald Trump and really very little to little extent from each other. So the, the, you know, the, the field will shrink down over time because you know, what happens with all these guys that run for president, right? They raise a lot of money, they start running, and then when they don't really do that great, their money starts drying up. Once the money completely dries up, they drop out. They have no money to go forward. So these guys will slowly start shedding away, and as they shed away, their votes will go to somebody else. Some of them may go to Trump. Most of them will probably go to other of the opposition candidates. But the fact of the matter remains, Trump still has a commanding portion of the Republican electorate. It looks like he's easily over 50 percent. And until one of these guys can prove one of two things, they can either win early primaries and or start to steal votes away in the polls from Trump up from the other candidates. They're really not going anywhere. 
Now, do you blame this on the MAGA extremist cult? Because Hillary Clinton was on CNN. And uh, I played this audio a little while ago. And she says to Christiane Amanpour that we have to deprogram the MAGA extremist cult. Have you heard that? I heard her quote. I, it's, I think it's so typical, Hillary. I mean, to me, that is the, the, the quintessential authoritarian perspective that seems to be dominating the left these days. They want to tell everybody what to think. They want to tell everybody how to act. They want to tell everybody how to behave. And that is not going to fly, obviously, in America. But it's just so indicative of where they want to take us. It should scare the you-know-what out of everybody. Yeah, I'm with that. Now, as you were saying you think Trump's going to maintain his lead. Uh, I certainly hope he does. Uh, but you don't see the possibility or the potentiality for uh, DeSantis coming from behind and a, a surge as we get closer to the primaries? Look, there's always a possibility of that happening. I just don't see him putting the pieces together to make it happen. He's actually, from what I've seen in the last couple of days, lost a couple of points. Uh, not that he can't reverse that. Look, DeSantis has one real path to victory at this point. He's got to do an unbelievable showing in all three of the early primary states. He's either got, got he's got to come in very close second to Trump, and, and, and preferably for him, beat Trump in at least one of those three states to have a chance to move forward. And if he can't do that, as of now, I don't see any evidence that he can, he will probably fade away relatively quickly and Trump will wrap this thing up quick. All right, Robert Hornack, uh, I'm just about a time on this one, but I did have another question for you. I'm going to twist your arm and yeah. ask you to stay because I want to find out your take on the $250 million fine that they're considering putting on Trump and kick him out of New York uh, because of um, him taking a loan and paying it back. So stick with me on this one. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. And while Hillary Clinton is deprogramming MAGA extremists, there is a judge in New York that is going after Trump, uh, although Trump has already uh, filed an appeal on the loss of his business licensure in New York, and that has been halted in so much as the judge says, we'll wait to see what the appeals court says before we do that, but we'll continue with the trial. Robert Hornack is our guest. He's the vice president and one of the founders of the Ronald Reagan Republican Club, uh, which was founded in New York City, attracting Democrats to come back over to the Republican Party. Robert Hornack, what is your thought on what's going on with Trump in this civil trial? Well, it's pretty clear that this has uh, been Letitia James' goal ever since she got elected. She actually ran for office on I'm going to get Trump. You know, that was pretty much her slogan, her unofficial slogan. 
and she's trying to fulfill that promise. She wants to make a name for herself as the person or one of the people that gets them. So they're going after him with every little thing that they can they can conjure up, and they've got this ridiculous civil trial where they're trying to say, you know, uh, I don't like the value you put down on this application for this loan. Even though nobody else objected, the bank didn't object, the loan we paid, everything is hunky-dory, but we're still going to turn that into some kind of a crime. And they're just going to go after him and try to destroy his business. It's, it is, it's the epitome of the old Soviet system. Show me the guy, I'll show you the crime. How do you think Trump fares in this one? Uh, he's going to appeal whatever this the outcome of this case is. And I suspect, like with many of the other cases, it's going to be the appeals process where he prevails. Uh, we just have to wait and see, but it's not slowing him down in his race, his race for president, and really that's what he cares most about. So, he'll, you know, the business, I'm sure he will find a way to move out of New York, which will be a benefit for him anyway, and keep doing what he's doing, or the family will keep doing what they're doing, and he will go on to become the 47th president, and, you know, this will be a bad memory in a couple of years. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, for the next couple of minutes, about the work that you're doing in New York with this Ronald Reagan Republican Club. We've, in the past, talked with uh, Curtis Sliwa about this. I know mm-hmm. he, he's at the forefront of a lot that's going on in New York City. Uh, but uh, tell us what you guys have been up to, how you're growing, and, and how you're doing in attracting Democrats into the club. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I, I came up with this idea last year to start a club up in, uh, in the Astoria area of Queens, which is basically the heart, the, 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 the most solid turf for AOC and the Democratic Socialists. They've taken over a lot of offices. You mean AOC, and, All Out Crazy, my least favorite congresswoman from the crazy. Bronx and Queens? <laughs> yeah, this is her turf. This is Tiffany Caban's turf, her mini-me, as Curtis likes to say, in the city council. And they got a bunch of assembly members and state senators elected, uh, DSA members from this region of Queens as well. So I said, let's start a club. You know, we used to have a very active club in Queens, but it kind of died out a little before COVID. And so let's start a club. Let's name it after Ronald Reagan, because he was the the, the master at bringing people together uh, to stand for American values and, and support the United States. Robert Hornack, let everybody know how they can get in touch with you and follow the great work you're doing. Uh, Reagan-Revolution.com is the club's website. And I can Fantastic. also find us on Facebook. Robert Hornack, thank you, sir. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Rich. You bet. Folks, we're coming right back. Open Phone America starts right now. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez 
Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to welcome you to the program. Hour number three, we call it Open Phone America. This is a tradition that dates back to 1978 when Larry King used to host this very show. And we've continued that. Of course, uh, the late, great Jim Bohannon did that for three decades amazingly. And uh, I'm here doing the same thing, letting you guys sound off on the news of the day and bring your opinions. If you disagree, you get to the front of the line. Happy to have that discussion with you. The phone number again, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. And Joe Biden today says that Americans are displeased with his performance on the economy because of the media. He sounds like a Republican more and more every day. First, he's building a border wall. Today, he's talking about tons of jobs being added. And now he's saying, look, you don't like my economy because, come on, man, I got hairy legs. No, he's saying that it's the media's fault. Listen to this. President, you started your remarks here today by saying it was good news today with the economic report. Why do you think most people still don't feel positive or feel good news about the economy? Well, first of all, you just heard the news today, too. They haven't heard it. I think the people, those 300-plus thousand people who got jobs feel better about the economy. I, look, i got to choose my words here. You all are not the happiest people in the world. What's your report? And I mean it sincerely. It gets a more little, you get more legs when you're reporting something that's negative. That's Joe Biden telling the media, listen, you guys are miserable malcontents. You're not the happiest bunch of people. Go ahead. I don't mean, I don't mean you're picking on me. Or I'm just the nature of things. You turn on the television and there's not a whole lot about boy saves dog as he swims in the lake, you know, to say, you know, it's about, you know, somebody pushed the dog in the lake. I mean, I, I, I get it, but... He's going to get it eventually. If you just listen to what's going on around the world, there's reason for people to be concerned. There's yeah, you, sir. There's reason to be concerned what's going on with, in Russia. There's reason to be concerned about what's going on in other parts of the world. I think that the American people are smart as hell and know what their interests are. I think they know they're better off financially than they were before. It's a fact. And all, the, all that data, all that polling stuff shows they think they're more positive about the economy than they've been, more positive about their jobs, et cetera. Um, I just think if you, let me put it this way. If you just watch what happened last week in the Congress, how excited are you going to be about much of anything? Well, Joe Biden tries. He really does try. But only 36 percent of U.S. adults approve of Joe Biden's handling of the economy. Uh, that's uh, slightly lower than the 42 percent that actually approve of his overall performance. Again, uh, better said that 64 percent of U.S. adults don't approve of Biden and how he handles the economy. And let's see. Uh, what's that number over here? Thirty six percent. Now, I don't know how to do math. Anyway, a whole bunch of Americans, they, they don't give a darn about what the president's doing in terms of his general performance, overall performance. And that's according to the uh, 
the Associated Press. So I think Joe Biden, when he says that people know that we're better off today, no, no. People actually have, they've done the polling just last month or a month, uh, six weeks ago. And they say, no, we're not better off today than we were four years ago. And, and the fact that he said, that's a fact. No, it's not a fact, sir. <laughs> it's just not a fact. Anyway, you know, Biden is saying everything is great. There's this great economic performance, all of this. Let me tell you two stories. One, I was taking a ride with my buddy from the restaurant and, earlier today. And uh, he, he just looks at me and he says, I can't believe this is the United States. And this is a guy who likes Biden. He said, I can't believe this is the United States. He said, look, that car wash, no cars. Look at that business. There's zero cars in the parking lot. There's four people in there. They're probably the salespeople trying to sell to each other. We went somewhere else. Again, no line. Now, this had nothing to do with the time of the day. This had to do with people aren't spending the way they had they used to because there's less disposable income. That's a fact. Now, you could say, oh, but but wages are up. Yes, sir, but as our wages go up, we're getting taxed even more by inflation. Doesn't matter if inflation went down a couple of points. Guess what? When you go to buy a house, if you can even get the loan, because banks are starting to hold on to their money a little tighter, you're going to pay upwards of 8%. I think everybody and their mother knows there were people getting 1% and 2% uh, mortgages and refinance deals all throughout the Trump administration. So, I don't know. I think Joe Biden's off his rocker on this one. He's really missing the point here. Or he's just lying, one or the other. And, and the worst of this, and I, I mean this tongue-in-cheek, Girl Scout cookies are now going to go from $5 to $7 a box. That's crazy. Imagine paying 6 bucks or 7 bucks. Now, again, I understand that it's not, it's not the end of the world to pay an extra buck. But when the box of cookies is $5 and you're paying 6 that's 20%. When it's seven, you do the math. That's a lot of inflation on Girl Scout cookies, Mr. President. What do you say about that, Joe El Baboso Biden? Anyway, we're going to continue our discussion on that, on the border and everything else. There's a bunch of crazy things I want to share with you that you may not have seen in the news. A mentally ill woman opened fire inside of a police station. Uh, we'll talk about that. I'm sure the Democrats will try to latch on to um, you know, more, uh, more, more gun laws. Uh, let's see. There's UFOs in Maryland. I, I don't really do UFOs. I tried it once. It was just too much. Uh, then we've got Steve Laffey dropping out of the race for president. He was a Republican candidate. Never heard of this guy. <laughs> Have you heard of Steve Laffey? I mean, I, I tried to interview even the dark horse candidates and nada. I never heard of this guy. So uh, congratulations on your run, Steve. I'm sorry it didn't work out. And let's see. There was another one here. Oh, my gosh. A sergeant in the U.S. Army, former sergeant charged with trying to give China classified information. These stories just keep continuing. We keep hearing about this stuff. Anyway, there's more to come straight ahead. I want to get to your calls as well. We've got calls from Oregon, Montana, and New York. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
This is America. This is Night. This is Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, we're going to go to the phones to get your opinions on things. Uh, let us go to Al Kalispell, Montana, K-O-F-I. Go right ahead, Al. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hey, Rich. It's kind of hard to keep a straight face. Thank you for playing that recording of he can't tell the difference between curly fries and French fries. My gosh, is that <laughs> man. The, he needs a rest home. He shouldn't yeah. be in the White House. Lamentable. But anyways, I apologize. I thank you for pointing that. Um, <laughs> yeah, Biden has only authorized 20 miles of the wall and basically sit around um, for the, remain, the remainder of the funds that were legally um, put to build the wall. We need some kind of independent observation down there to make sure at least the substantial section of the wall is constructed. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I wish I wish there was more approval to have more border wall built. I, I, I don't think that's the case. I think, you know, as we know, he let a lot of it fall by the wayside. And uh, that's what he's good for. Right. Wasting and fraud and abuse. That's Joe Biden's. Uh, legacy lamentably but that's where we are and and i think it's crazy now al i want to ask you i don't know if you were listening to the show in the first hour but uh, we played a clip of audio from hillary clinton and she said that we have to deprogram the maga extremists uh, did you hear that quote from her well i would be the first one <laughs> well what are your thoughts about hillary clinton actually saying we, we need to deprogram people like there was no policy position there was no look we're going to win on the issues the american people know what's right and what's right is joe biden or what's right is the democrat party but basically saying that they're mag extremists they're election deniers and we have to deprogram these people i mean i think that's insane in my opinion what do you think i would i would be the first to be lined up to go to a <laughs> communist re-education camp yeah, you know, let's I'd not probably forget. be right next to you. <laughs> yeah, crazy. you'd be with me too. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, re-educate me, see if I, I care. It's it's a crazy thing, Al. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to Montana and K O F I and Liz Cheney. She's not far behind uh, Hillary Clinton. She says uh, at a talk she gave at the University of Minnesota. She says the problem with those who deny elections is not just Trump. It's the election deniers. Listen to this. The problem is not just Donald Trump. The problem is people who deny election outcomes. We've just had in the last few days, I think, uh, in Arizona, Carrie Lake has announced she's running for Senate. Now, we cannot elect people who have said to us they're only going to honor the outcome of an election if they agree with the outcome of the election, that's the end of democracy. And we have to be willing to stand against the threats because there is a concerted effort underway to stop good people 
from being poll watchers, to stop good and honest and honorable people from running for school board, from running for local office, from running for federal and state office. And that has not, this is unprecedented in the United States of America. And it is a clear and concerted effort. And we have to stand against it. A clear and concerted effort, and we have to stand against it. I got to tell you, I think, I think it's crazy. When the, the Democrats said that um, Bush was an illegitimate president, they said Trump was an illegitimate president, they denied the elections, they tried to stop the count, they stood against it. He granted, there was no January 6th. But irrespective of that, just the fact that they didn't acknowledge the outcome of the election, nobody said that they were the problem. Nobody said we have to stop them. I believed in free speech. Let them say what they want. We move on. But yet somehow they want to come after anybody that that had an issue with the 2020 election, which took place in a pandemic and had more mail-in ballots than we'd ever seen in our lives. People that were being automatically uh, added to the the voter roll uh, to to vote absentee. Somehow that's not a problem, even though we had the Carter Baker Commission. And again, I'm not going to relitigate that stuff right now. But my point is. It's just so hypocritical for Liz Cheney and, and to say that the, the problem is not just Trump. It's the people that support Trump. For Hillary Clinton to say the problem is not just uh, Donald Trump, but it's it's the people that, that support Donald Trump, the basket of deplorables, right? This is this to me is, is harmful rhetoric. I say that Joe is umbabosu. I say that, you know, he's a bumbling, stumbling idiot. That's my personal opinion of Joe Biden, our president. I'm not saying that every last Democrat out there is, is the problem. I'm voting against policies and very bad ideas. And I'm hopeful, just like my friend who liked Joe Biden, who's saying that the economy is, is going south and telling me that, you know, the idea of, of someone succeeding in life and being taxed at a rate so that we can afford to have a permanent underclass that's theft. Not me saying it. He told me that today. He said, es un robo. <laughs> that's robbery. And, and I can't help but agree with him. Yet these are the policies we see. These are the people that embrace the idea that we should have LGBTQ nonprofits reaching out to schools and getting into fifth through eighth grade classrooms and celebrating the fact that people are going to the principal's office saying that they are coming out in the fifth grade. And, and, and harping on the fact that between K and second grade is when they want to get in as what she's calling early intervention. And if you didn't hear that clip, I'm going to play it for you right now. Listen to this. The most critical time to be there is grades five through eight because you want to catch kids when they're starting puberty because that's the time in which identity formation is central to their lives. However, early intervention is key. So we actually are designing a kindergarten through grade two curriculum this summer. And I will tell you, one of the most rewarding experiences, Nikki, uh, we were in a local school system in an elementary school, and uh, we were in grades three, four, and five. And after we were there, um, five students went to the principal's office and came out. So we are really intentionally going into younger and younger grades. That's Stacy Robostelli. She's Director of Education and Administration at High Tops, an LGBTQ nonprofit group focused on bringing queer theory and gender ideology into schools. 
And that's not a Twitter post. That's not a secret recording of what they were saying when nobody was looking. This is what they put out publicly and put some nice fancy music behind. And she says the best time to be in the classroom is grades five through eight when kids are starting puberty. And then goes on to talk about how excited she is that people are coming out in those grades and that they're going to have early intervention in kindergarten, first grade, and second grade. I got to tell you, this this to me, and I've heard crazy things like this before. I play them all the time. But this one really, uh, the, the fact that this woman was so emotionless, so other than the emotion of, of being so excited that these kids are making this decision. Just imagine if a, a kid says, you know, in fifth grade or, or second grade, um, you know, I've decided I'm going to be straight. I mean, that just doesn't even happen. Why on earth would we put this in a school is beyond me. If you want to have a workshop, you want to have a website, you want to have a, a big mobile truck and stop all around the country and say, hey, we want to talk to your kids about queer theory and gender ideology. That's on you. And shame on the parents that participate in that. But to actually actively work inside of a school to get into your kid's mind is beyond me. Shame on everybody involved here. Shame on the school system. They should all be fired. Every last person in the administration, every last person that's on that school board, and every last parent, you, you need to know what's going on. You need to, to, to get involved. You can't just go to work and go home like you want to. You actually have to get involved because these are your children. My kids are grown for the most part, right? They're 18 and 22 now. And um, they face all different types of problems and challenges at that age. But they're not facing this particular challenge. And I got to tell you, Godspeed to everybody and their children, because this right here, this is a defining moment in American history. And if we lose this battle to protect our children from hypersexual education in the classroom, I think we're done as a society. There won't be that much left. Folks, getting to your call straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. We're coming back. To continue open phone America with your calls and a lot more. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. Don't move a muscle. Are you concerned that a third party candidate on the Democratic side could thwart Joe Biden's chances? I am always concerned about a third party. That's what happened to me, as uh, we all can recall, and uh, helped by a lot of other forces. And that could happen again this time. Uh, so, of course, I worry about uh, anyone who might take votes away from uh, President Biden, because, you know, I'm in the camp, Christiane, that says, why do you actually hire a politician? You know, what is it you want? And what I want is somebody who can get the job done. And Biden has done an amazing job by any measure. <laughs> I, I tell you, it's hard to keep a straight face when Mrs. Uh, let's reprogram the MAGA extremist says that Biden's doing an amazing job by any measure. 
Unbelievable. Let's go to the phones. 833-4-VALDEZ. Jane, Saratoga, New York, WGDJ. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. I've got, I have to tell you, the, the woman's a moron. I have to tell you a story. Uh, I, did, I still did some journalism a couple of years back and when Hillary was running. And she did a fundraiser in a very exclusive um, neighborhood, $10,000 a plate. And I went to cover the happening. And I was sitting off to the side. I had my camera. And I was watching. And while she was speaking, I looked up. And there was a curtain behind her. And one of her, and the gentleman I'm going to tell you about has passed away. So I'm not hanging him out to dry. Um, there was a gentleman standing behind the curtain and doing, you know how when somebody does a silent mocking where they do like that, but they don't yeah. make any noise. And he was standing back there doing that. And I didn't take a picture. And when it was, when she was busy with her friends and he went off to the side, I went up to him and I said, you know, I said, I, you could have made me the most famous person in the country. I said, but, I hate Hillary Clinton. And I said, I did not take your picture tonight and show what you were doing and mocking her. And he looked at me. He looked like some the poor man. He looked like somebody had hit him in the face. And he said, oh, my God, you didn't take my picture. I said, no, no, I swear I didn't. And bless his heart, he started to cry. He got tears. And he said, you know what? He said, they force us to work for this woman. And he said, she is the most corrupt human being on the face of the earth. And he said, she, the only thing she loves is power. He said, she does not love this country. And what was lied. his role with her organization? He was a Secret Service man who was oh, okay. with, yeah. And uh, he said, she cheats. She lies. He says she has a black heart, and I hate it when they make me cover and go with her to these functions. And he just kept thanking me over. He said, thank you. Thank you for not hanging me out to dry like that. And he said, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so, yeah, she's evil. She is evil, just evil through and through. And I ran into her in the White House. Not the White House, State Department. Just before she ran, an old friend of mine was down there. And um, she walked up with Bill. And um, I said, oh, uh, hey, Hill, how you doing? And she looked at me, and then she, it dawned on her who I was. Uh, and she says, oh, so, uh, going to vote for me? I said, well, okay. Hill, I'll tell you what. It depends on when you start collecting money for contributions how much are you going to spend on Bill's cigars? And she just <laughs> she looked at me, she said, and I'm going to use the word witch, but it's witch with a B. And she says, hmm, still a witch, I see, huh? I said, well, Hill, I guess it takes one to know one. Ah, that's funny, Jane. Wow, what a good story. Thank you for the call and for the great story. Jane in Saratoga, New York, WGDJ, outstanding. That's, that's a funny story. I don't have a Hillary Clinton story. I wish I did. I honestly do. You know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask uh, Bill Barnett, who is our booker, uh, to to get us both Hillary Clinton, if she'll agree to come on the show, and also this woman that I've been beating up all night, Stacy Robostelli, Director of Education and Administration at High Tops. 
Uh, I'd love to have her on the show as well. So hopefully we can get them. And uh, let's see. Let's continue with the calls because this is good stuff here tonight. Uh, let's see. Where do we go from here? We go to Ken Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Ken, go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Fabulous hey. show as always. I tell you, you have picked up the reins from Jim and took that horse right down the right path, my friend. Great shows. Great shows. Thank but, you, sir. Uh, I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate you, my friend, but uh, where in the hell did this group of people in this class of people come from that are trying to teach our young children that uh, your body isn't the body? You, this isn't your body if you don't like it. You can become a boy or a girl if you want to, and they're driving it down our kids' throats to where they're they're getting so screwed up mentally. The state of California, you can give your... They can give your kids gender reaffirming drugs without saying a damn word to you. They can. It's just where did these people come from, Rich? Because I, I firmly believe they're Marxist. They're not communists. They're Marxists, and I firmly believe that. Have a I great think they night, come. Rich. I think they come from hell, <laughs> not Hillary Clinton, from hell itself. Ken, thank you for the call, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, W-I-L-S. And I agree with you. Look, yes, they are Marxists and they use these issues as wedge issues to continue to divide and conquer society because that's how they gain power. When you can segregate people by whatever, whether it's do you believe in the environment, do you not? Do you believe in abortion, do you not? Whenever you can have that type of segregation, you take control over one issue, you spin it around emotionally, you make it pro something to try to gain people's um, sympathy. And, and this is why they're so successful. But when faced with the facts, they just come back with crazy rhetoric like, you know what, we have to just re-educate the MAGA extremists. We have to get rid of election deniers. We have to allow kids to be who they are. And somebody not too long ago uh, mentioned to me uh, the theory that, you know, if you can allow a child that's eight, nine, six, five, whatever age, to identify as whatever they want, then you now open the door for others to identify as whatever they want. And the others that they were referring to were what they now call minor attracted persons, which I think historically have been known as pedophiles. And uh, I see some, um, some sense in that argument. I think it makes sense that if, if it's okay to identify as this, then it's okay to identify as that. And that's no longer taboo, just like so much of this other stuff was. And, and, I, and I, I can't help but think, if you want to do things that are that are taboo, you can do them when you're an adult. And that's the bottom line for me. The fact that we're going into public schools and actively adding this to curriculums and recruiting and brainwashing to me is so unacceptable. And any parent who thinks, well, I can't take my kid out of school. I can't homeschool. I can't go to private school. You've got to do a better job. That's I'm going to say that and I'm sure I'll get some pushback, but you have to do better. Your children are your children. There shouldn't be anything more important than your children, in my opinion, right? You have to stand up for them. You have to be able to defend them. You have to be able to know what's going on and to think, I need my kid to read and know two plus two. Guess what? If your kid knows how to read and knows two plus two, but starts to, to buy into an idea that they can identify as anything they want and then go through a massive transformation and block their own puberty and, and, and have their breasts removed or have whatever done and this, that, and the third thing, and you end up in a place where this kid is obviously dealing with some issue and then now deals with more issues. And when you see the numbers of how they're dying, both before and after these transitions, this is bad. This is very bad. 
And for people to say, well, that, you know, I'm supporting that or for parents to, to support this, like we've heard countless times on on videos from Libs of TikTok and parents that are just supporting the transition of their young children. This, in my opinion, not, should not only be illegal and, and labeled as as child abuse, uh, emotional abuse, but it should it should stop in the public school. It should not be accepted in society. It shouldn't be celebrated on TikTok or anywhere else. This to me is just it's it's really one of these issues that uh, I feel so um, bad. I feel so bad for those that are in that in that situation and dealing with that type of drama because it, it's it's uh, it's drama and it's trauma and it's a sad thing. Folks, we're coming right back to the rest of your calls. Uh, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, to the phones we go. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, go right ahead. A voice of liberty, that is the truth, Rich. You're great. You know, the people have an absolute right to question the integrity of their elections, the machinations of their government. They have a right to question school boards and demand change and to label these people as terrorists and turn them over to the FBI or to say they need to be reprogrammed. These are all hallmarks of an emerging authoritarian state that is right now unfolding you know, before our eyes. And I'm saying this. Let me ask you. Yeah. I think you raised a great point. You know, it's funny. If you go to a school board meeting and you say something they don't like, you become a, a violent domestic extremist, a extreme MAGA person, a domestic terrorist. But yet, if you go into a school to try and change a kid's mind in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, that's early intervention. I say they're the real terrorists, Sarah. They are. They are. And the fact that they have such a double standard is really a sign, evidence of a totalitarian state that says they have the right to do whatever they want. You can't question them and they can brainwash your kids and you can't do anything. And we no longer live in a free society. And honestly, people in the future, if we're not successful in combating this, then we need to think like Cold War emigres did, of sanctuary states and emigre movements, because if we lose a battle here in the next 10 years, we are in some serious trouble. You might be like Rich Valdez, liberty-loving Latino, in exile, broadcasting free America, you know? I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. it sounds like a joke, but it really is the truth, <clears throat> you know? Uh, I, I, listen, I don't doubt it. I, I, I hope it's not true, but if we, you're right. If we don't change course, soon a dissenting opinion you standing up for the Constitution, for liberty, for children, for anything that you think is good and holy, God and Jesus, whatever you want. Uh, as soon as you say something that they don't like, they're willing to come after you. And and it's, 
I've never gone after them for, for saying what they want. I go after them for saying something stupid. And I want them to keep saying it so I can keep playing you the audio clips and keep making fun of them because I think that's how we have the national conversation. And I always invite them. Rarely do they accept. And when they do, it's fun. But I appreciate it, Sarah. Always a great uh, time talking with you, and I appreciate your kind words. Uh, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW in the building. Let us continue. Paul, Zanesville, Ohio, WHIZ, Ohio in the house. Let's go, Paul. What's up, brother? Hey, hey good evening there, Rich. Um, yeah, um, I'm kind of um, kind of upset because I couldn't get the first two hours of your show tonight because of ball games, number one. So uh, I wanted to tell you that, you, you, oh, man, what a great week of shows, great guests, great callers, everything. But um, with the little kids there, that chaps my behind. I mean, you know, uh, it's time for the parents to stand up. I mean, if you have to go against uh, these school boards and so forth, go ahead. You know, do what you got to do. My daughter's 40. I don't have to worry about it. Back then, I was the guy that would do that. But what I wanted to really call about was Joe Biden saying that the media is going after him. <laughs> you know, they're being mean to him or whatever. But you You've got to be kidding me, Joe. And, yeah. and Come I on, take man. exception to what Jane said. Yeah, I take exception to what Jane said just a little bit. Great caller. But she said that Hillary Clinton's the most evil, devious person that she knows. No, let me tell you, she's close second to Joe Biden. You mm. know, and for him, yeah, to sit here and say that the media is going after him, but you better take a look at Donald Trump and what this man's going through, you know, with the media. And I hope, I hope that the media turns around a little bit and does start seeing what's going on here. I mean, with Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, you know, um, I, I talked to Jim Bohannon one time, and it's about the only thing we ever disagreed on, was I said if, if, if Hunter Biden has to ever go to trial, it'll be the shortest trial you've ever seen. And Jimbo said, no, I think it'll be the longest trial. No, Jim, bless your heart up there in heaven, buddy. But um, I don't think anything will ever be done to him. And it's the same way with the Bidens. This is the most crooked president I've ever seen in my 59 years. And Clinton, you know, um, Hillary Clinton, uh, to, to call us MAGAs, uh, I, I, I'm afraid to wear a MAGA hat right now, to tell you the truth. You know, I really am. But um, I am behind Donald Trump. But to make America great again, why is that such a bad thing? And I think what they're doing to him is an atrocity. And I think the media has a lot to do with it because they've been so to the left and on the Biden and Democratic ticket that they're, they're, they're not getting the whole story out there. And I'm glad that there's programs like yours that are letting people know the truth about these things. And I wish there were more programs like yours. So, Rich, you keep it up, everybody. You keep, you keep doing what you're doing. You're, you're an ace in the hole, buddy. Thank you, brother. Kind words, and I appreciate it. I can't do the program without great callers and listeners like you all that are out there. And we can't do anything in America unless we make an impact. Everybody's got to talk to their neighbors. We've got to have these national conversations, these uncomfortable conversations. If we don't have them, we're going to lose the future. And to me, that's not an acceptable outcome at all. Big shout out to Ohio WHIZ. My man, Paul, have a great weekend. I'm coming right back to the rest of your calls and more. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Rich Valdez. 
All right, here we go. It's the speed round. Keep it to 30 seconds or less. Let's go. Bill, Jefferson City, Missouri, KTTR. And Bill is our resident historian, longtime listener to the program. Bill, welcome. Yes. Uh, 1944, Democratic Convention had a problem. They had uh, uh, President Franklin Roosevelt wasn't there. Uh, he was tired, and his doctors were really worried about him not living long. And so it turns out the vice presidential candidate was Harry Truman. And how he was selected, I'm just reading a book by Robert H. Farrell of uh, the University of Missouri Press, 1994, on how mm-hmm. Harry, who wasn't really uh, going to do the be thinking about being nominated was nominated by the convention because of the of the poor uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt. So I that's all I've, I am I in my thirty second time limit? No, you're doing perfect, Bill. And you know what's interesting about that is that may happen, right? There may be a contested convention at the Democrat convention this year. The super delegates might get involved and broker a little deal. And we might see an interesting change. You know, I don't think it'll be JFK, uh, RFK Jr. Uh, I don't know who they'll put up, but uh, I can't imagine them moving forward with Joe Biden. So we'll see if we have a repeat of 1944 or something thereof. Bill, thank you so much for your call. I appreciate it. Let's go to Michael Pendleton, Oregon, K-U-M-A. Michael, you got 30 seconds. Go for it. Yeah, Rich. Hey, good talking to you. I'll call earlier next time. Um, yeah, Rich, uh, what do you think will happen with the funding for Ukraine? Um, President Biden's supposed to give a speech soon, and of course they're debating that our government. Um, yeah, how do you feel about that? Well, I think I think they're they're going to continue to fund Ukraine. I just hope that they're going to start to to end it. I mean, uh, Senator Rand Paul earlier today said, look, the movement to stop funding Ukraine is alive and well, and it's not going anywhere. And I believe that he's correct. Uh, I want to see Ukraine win. And I think we're going to continue to have to support them. But the answer isn't funding, right? The answer is leadership. We have to make it work. We have to make it count. And we can't just keep sending money over there and, 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 and guns and whatever else we're sending over there, um, hand over fist with no expectation for an outcome. So I think that's what it's going to boil down to. And hopefully we can get that leadership before 2024, but it might take until then. Robert and Charleston, I owe you for next time. Let's get them to the front of the list. Artie, thank you for calling in. Hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. God bless. I'm Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.